Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, President of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined in studio today, as I almost always am, by President Wyatt. Scott, it's good to see you again. Yes, Steve, good to see you. It's good to be here. So, I don't know if our listeners know this, but one of the things that has happened um, as a result, not necessarily as a result of COVID, but um, certainly there's discussion nationally about um, about remote education and about uh, asynchronous online education. And, and I have taken a new job at the university related to that where I am uh, the uh, the associate or assistant vice president for enrollment management for the graduate and online uh, programs that we have here at SUU. I mention that because we um, I I am particularly interested in how we can improve the educational experience, particularly for our asynchronous online students. And uh, we have we have some people today who are working at the very very highest level. Uh, maybe the bleeding edge technology of <laughs> uh, of this world, and I'm just really excited to have them join us uh, on the podcast. So why don't you introduce them? Oh yes, thanks, Steve. It is really an honor for us to welcome uh, Shauna Murray, who is a business program manager at Microsoft Mixed Reality Services, and John O'Brien, chief technology officer with Microsoft's Mixed Reality Services. Sean and John, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. And you're both joining us from your home offices or offices wherever you are, somewhere in the country. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm actually curious, where are you joining us from? <laughs> <laughs> so John and I, actually, our team is, is, is pretty diverse and we've got folks all over, but uh, John and I are two of uh, those hunkered down here right outside of uh, Microsoft's main campus. I'm in uh, Kirkland, Washington, and John, you're Issaquah, aren't you? Sammamish, Washington. Sammamish. There you go. It's a great place. Yeah, I've been working out of my house for the last year. Um, it's, yeah, certainly been <laughs> interesting times. Um, I, I will say as a side note, um, we do red sand kind of the way you do green grass. <laughs> That's right. Um, Southern Utah University is in a desert, and you certainly aren't in a desert up in Washington. Um, <laughs> no, especially just, now. We're in, the, we're in our seven months of rain season. <laughs> <laughs> but one but it's I, just a short drive over the pass till you get to high desert. So we do have desert. It's it's a, it's an interesting place to live here after uh, being an East Coaster, uh, you know, my all of my life until moving here. Like we have a really diverse ecosystem here, which makes it which makes living here really interesting to me. One of my favorite life memories is um, is flying up to Seattle 
and then renting the car and driving down to climb Mount Rainier and going around a corner on one of the streets when Mount Rainier was visible, the mountain was out, the sun was shining, it was a stunning sight. And then getting to the top was spectacular. You've got some beautiful places up there and the city is it's a delightful place to be. So my uh, when I first moved here, my mom came to visit me for two weeks, and the only thing she wanted to see was Mount Rainier, and <laughs> it was overcast and cloudy and rainy and gray the whole time. Oh, and no. so the last day or two, we were like sightseeing down at the Space Needle, and every time we'd walk by a poster or a postcard, I'd be like, "Look, Mom, the mountains out," and she <laughs> didn't find it nearly as amusing as I did by the end of her trip. <laughs> Yeah, I've lived in the area for nine years now. Uh, I'm originally from the East Coast as well. And I never get tired of seeing it. And especially just the, how much of the sky it takes up, even though it's 50 miles away from you. It's just, there's nothing that even close to that big on the East Coast. No, it's stunning, isn't it? It's just stunning. And it, and it looks bigger than it is because everything around it is so low. You know, the, the mountains in Utah kind of build one on top of the next. That's and, right. And uh, where we're sitting right now is uh, 6,000 feet. Um, but so when we look up at a 11 or 12,000 foot mountain, it looks tall, but it doesn't look as tall as a 14 and a half thousand foot mountain from, from virtually sea level. That's impressive. Well, I have to say, of all the travel, I, I was, I've, I'm very fortunate in this role that prior to COVID, I got to, to travel not only all over the country, but all over the world. And honestly, one of my favorite places to fly in is Salt Lake City Airport. I think, like, flying over the Salt Flats, I think it is beautiful every <laughs> single cool. time I get to see them. So uh, we can uh, be envious a little bit of each other's uh, locations. It looks like a palette, doesn't it? An artist's palette. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of imagining things, let's talk about mixed reality. <laughs> um, where should we start, Steve? I, I want to know about the HoloLens uh, thing that you guys have created and, and that you use to, you use to train people in the industry and, and uh, other places in a three-dimensional environment. That's particularly interesting to me. A lot of our listeners have no idea what the HoloLens is, so maybe we should start with that. Okay, sure. I, guess I, I can go, or Yeah, go ahead, Shauna. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll take that one. Um, so yeah, so HoloLens is um, Microsoft's first um, untethered, fully functioning Windows 10 computer that you actually um, wear on your face and you can see holograms through. Um, so it is not specifically an augmented reality technology, right? Augmented reality you think of as just like Pokemon Go and um, the heads-up display on your car where it's just a digital overlay of data. And it's not virtual reality because you're not fully occluded from the real world. You can actually see through the lenses on a hollow lens and you can place holograms in your world. And so you can interact with them. And, you know, there's a variety of use cases um, that we have seen over the past five years customers develop, um, you know, across industry, training, development, maintenance, education. Um, and so HoloLens 1 came out in, at the end of 2016, and then about a year ago, we released HoloLens 2, which is 
Um, obviously, same technology, advancements on V1, but bigger field of view, um, uh, more, much more comfortable to wear for folks who are going to be wearing it for a long period of time, and really much more natural um, interface to access with it. And so, although you know we joke about our face computers, you're actually using your hands, and it's tracking your hands to actually select and move holograms really naturally. So again, it just advanced the applications that were possible with the device. Yeah, with HoloLens 2, you can literally reach out and grab a hologram in front of you or push a holographic button, pull a holographic lever. And what that's opened up, uh, especially in the realm of training, uh, is really powerful for us. I would say I've been on this team six years, uh, and I was working with HoloLens even before it was launched. I was working on the Skype for HoloLens product as a software engineer at that time. Um, and everything that customers have come to me and asked me, can we do this with HoloLens 1, where I had to say, maybe not yet. With HoloLens 2, we can do it now. Give us one of the real big wows for training. Sure. Um, so we did a project, and I actually can talk about this one. Some of our customers are private, so if you ever hear me pause when you're asking me a question, it's because I'm trying to make sure I'm allowed to say that, so don't get fired. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, we like but, to stop. Uh, we continue to try to keep them. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love, yes, I love what I do. Um, so we did a project with Honeywell, who I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, yep. And yep. Uh, they were, so there are many divisions of Honeywell, but we were specifically working with the group that makes like components for like power stations and whatnot. And it was a, it was around training. And basically the problem they have and many of our customers have in many industries is that, uh, right now they're training people using videos. They're training people using PowerPoint. Uh, and these are very hands on procedures that they want people to learn how to work with equipment, but they're training that way because maybe the equipment is very large. And it's and it's there are only so many ways to get people directly to the equipment, or maybe that equipment is very rare or expensive or, or whatnot. And so, hands-on time is difficult to obtain for one reason or another. So, what they wanted to do was build fully holographic training uh, to improve retention. Because if I'm actually carrying out a task and feel like I'm actually pushing buttons and actually pulling levers or plugging things in, I'm going to remember that much better than just watching somebody do it on a video. So we did a project with them with one of the components of their of their uh, uh, you know of their power station control. And my understanding is that this thing's key in terms of when something horrible happens in a power plant, in terms of keep shutting things down well and whatnot. And the procedure we initially did with them was just let's replace a faulty component and go through the steps. And so we can bring up the steps floating in the air next to you. But what's great is what you can do in terms of the training this way that we couldn't do another way is you're pulling out. Uh, you know, the old faulty component and putting in a new one and turning screws, right? We can do that now. We can make you actually do some of those motions. It's not exactly what you do, but the, the feeling that you're actually reaching and grabbing uh, a component and pulling it out and pushing another one in, uh, you know, really, it really feels real. It feels like it's there. Now, it'll be even better once we get to the, you know, the Ready Player One style haptic suits where you're actually feeling it too. We can't do that yet. But um, in terms of the visuals, we can do all of it. You're going to be able to fill it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually. Somebody's got to build that piece for us. Um, and there are companies working on exactly that. Um, I'd say that's the only awkward part of working with with this technology today is that I can reach out and my eyes are telling me I'm grabbing a thing 
and it behaves. We can make the object move and we can, there are little things we can do in terms of lighting things up or giving you some sense of feedback as to when you have it, but, but you want your hand to be feeling it too. It lacks heft or. I was going to say the other thing that I will, will sort of add to that is we worked with, um, a systems integrator and one of the things that they realized is that light has no weight. And so although you might be working with really, really small parts, it costs you nothing to expand them and blow them up well beyond life size, you know, so that something that would normally you might be looking at under a microscope, you can actually blow up and walk around so you get completely different perspective and understand the inner workings of it. Or in the case of like a plane where you want to see the landing gear retract because you're training new mechanics, it doesn't cost you anything to have them standing in the hole and just over and over again retract that gear so they can see the mechanisms versus burning, you know, fuel or energy, otherwise having to do it with an actual, you know, with a real plane. Right. And we can give you a better view of it than you can get in real life because since it's all holographic and, and you know, virtual, we can peel away whatever is in your way that might be blocking your view of what you need to see. Yeah. Are you doing... Um it's just really quite shocking technology, isn't it? And there's a oh, lot yeah. of... When I, when I first put one of these on... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was say, when I first put one of these on, my mind was blown. I wasn't working in... Uh, the first day I tried one, I, I have to... This is what I came to Microsoft to do. I have to get onto Teams working with HoloLens. This is going to reinvent training. It's going to reinvent education. Uh, you know, all of that. So I've been... I haven't regretted it for a minute uh, in the six years I've been doing it. There are so many things that we say, both at SUU and at technical colleges, that some things can be taught online or remotely, and some things just simply can't. Um, but with the HoloLens, it seems to me that there is a smaller and smaller list of things that can't be taught remotely. Why can't you teach welding and auto mechanics and airplane mechanics and everything else in the same way? Well, precisely because we can put a car and all of your welding tools in your living room or wherever you are with you. And it does, you know, you don't even have to have a big room because we can make it appear, even if, even if what we're showing you wouldn't fit in that space, we can make it extend through the walls. Well, and you can even, we've worked with some customers who have taken training and rather than spending six weeks training a technician to get them onto the floor, um, you know, putting parts together, they start in day one and, you know, they're at their workstation and HoloLens tells them, here's the first part you grab and here's, you know, the position you put it in and here's the second part and here's how you, you know, put it together. So again, like John said, you're, you're creating that muscle memory, but you also have people fundamentally outputting on day one. So you're increasing your training effectiveness and also increasing your output of, you know, of employees. So there's, there's multiple benefits to it. Can the HoloLens tell you, uh, no, you picked up the wrong screw? So, John, I'll let you go into detail about this. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on, it doesn't inherently do object recognition, but with Microsoft's like Azure Cognitive Services, we can certainly train models to say this is what you should be picking up versus not, and it alerts you, gives you visual cues as to whether you've selected the right piece or not. 
Right. The advances in AI and the ability to to leverage cloud computing to, to help augment whatever the device you're using uh, is, you know, open up all of those possibilities. Um, so just using the cameras, right? HoloLens has the multiple cameras mounted across the, the front of it. And what it's doing is scanning the room at all times and building up kind of a 3D map of the room. And that allows me as a developer to do things like put a holographic coffee cup on a table or hang a holographic picture on a wall. And I know where the walls and the tables and the surfaces are, but it also means that we can use those cameras and, and then call into, as Shauna was saying, the Azure Cognitive Services. And we can teach it just like we can any AI system to recognize certain people or certain objects. Uh, so as long as you are, you have that Wi-Fi connection, then we can kind of leverage whatever backend computing uh, you want. Steve, I need to go buy a pair of these. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think that it should be part of my work. Yep. That I understand this better. Yes, this is very <laughs> and this, experience it all the time. Well, and and I know you're making a joke about that, but <laughs> I'm not th- sure this if I is am. really true. Yeah, I, it, it, this this is the kind of stuff that we need that we need to be on our end, um, not only aware of but experiencing if we can. Yeah. Um, well, and Microsoft has really made a large investment in, you know, there's billions of dollars worth of research into HoloLens, and we continue, Microsoft as a company continues to invest because they fundamentally believe this is the direction that, you know, industry, education, this is the direction we're moving in, that we are finding this to be the third wave of, fourth wave of computing, and we're going to go from, you know, a large, you know, set of goggles on your face to eventually, you know, maybe two or three, four generations from now, they'll be just like reading glasses and it'll become ubiquitous with everything that we do. And so we do talk to customers a lot about if you're not starting to do it now, if you're not considering what the transformation looks like, you're probably going to be very far behind when you do decide to make that leap. What I'm looking forward to is um, being able to wear a pair of glasses that nobody knows is anything different than my regular glasses, but has face recognition and will tell me um, what I should remember about the person that I'm approaching. <laughs> That's a big part of your life. I'm going to be right behind you. Yes, I am right behind you in line for that one for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's your brother-in-law. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> How do you see this um, affecting what we're doing um, in education? Not just in terms of making it more affordable or making it so that more people can get education, but fundamentally, do you see this transforming the education world like for colleges and universities? What do you Absolutely. I'll let Shauna talk about a specific example in a second. Um, but yeah, when I first put one on the very first day, you know, that's what I thought. And that the, the particular application I tried was a map of the solar system. And I, it was taking up almost the entire room I was in. And I was standing there and the sun was right in front of me. And I turned around and the earth was to my right. And I could see where all the planets were and that, what the distances were like. There are certain topics that it's so much easier to teach and for people to, to appreciate if you can see it in three dimensions instead of on a, on a screen or in a book. Um, and I love reading, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, as human beings, we're, we're used to operating in a 3d world. We spot patterns 
and process information. Our brains are geared to process information that way. So I think this is going to open up, you know, kind of a whole new frontier for history, for, you know, astronomy, for physics, for, you know, you name it. So Shauna, I think, uh, has a great example to go into. Yeah. um, Case Western Reserve University um, was one of our first, like, North Star customers. They really went all in on mixed reality very early on when a lot of other customers were really like putting a toe in the water, you know, Case Western um, really saw the opportunity for developing out a full curriculum for um, holographic learning. And so their new medical school is, um, is going completely holographic and they have taught already a number of semesters doing um, holographic anatomy and cadaveric research. And, if I'm remembering correctly, they had um, cited at one point that approximately their students are getting approximately 30% additional recall by learning anatomy via, um, you know, spatially conductual holograms versus flat textbooks. And so that's a that is a huge uptick in in recall, and and particularly since. Particularly since, I mean, these are our future doctors. I am happy with every additional percent of recall that that, that we can get out of these <laughs> yes. students. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and it instead of um, looking at a cadaver, I'm assuming. Tell me if I'm right. Um, not only mm-hmm. you, do you end up getting the opportunity to learn about one cadaver, but you, but through this technology, you can throw in all kinds of curves. Um, that aren't, that aren't exactly limited to this one person. Did talk about that. Well, that's right, because, you, you know, like, cadaveric research is very expensive, and you have a limited number of cadavers that you are working on in medical school. And with HoloLens, you can choose any number of, of illnesses or reasons that the person expired. And fundamentally, once you build it once, it's free to, now let's see what someone who expired from you know, heart disease look like versus breast cancer versus, you know, so that you're really unlimited in the possibilities of how much training you actually are able to do once you develop one. Yeah. Right. And then for in the real world, in terms of, you know, jobs, people do, uh, you know, I'm not saying that. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So like oil and gas or any other hazardous job or even the power plants we were talking about before, there are a number of situations that'd be dangerous to simulate for real, right? That we can virtually simulate in an immersive way and let people uh, get some experience with that situation in a way where they're not at risk. Yeah. So we do something like this called flight simulators. Right. In Um, our aviation program. So that, um, a person can crash a dozen times being confronted with all kinds of uh, weather scenarios and nobody dies and they get to keep practicing and practicing. And um, what you're doing is technology way beyond that. Well, and President, you mentioned you mentioned this earlier. We We talk a lot about things that are hard to teach online and I'm 100% in favor of of recognizing that there are some things that are best taught face-to-face. But one of the things that we keep circling back to is the idea of an online lab, right? Labs that we build are typically 
expensive, a little bit dangerous, um, but but they're expensive and and they have a a very limited size, which keeps the classes very small, and and as a result, the the pipeline of of those that can take the class is quite small, right? And there are things you can't do in a lab. That's right. They're too dangerous, as as John was just saying. There there are things that we simulate yep. that are too dangerous that not even we wouldn't even let our professors do them because they're so dangerous, and and this kind of technology would would change that experience forever, I suspect. Well, and the interesting thing about that is you can have 50 students in 50 different places across the country and all be viewing um, what the professor is doing from their perspective. And, you know, if you've got a couple of um, students in the class and everybody else is remote, one of the things we found is that we as human beings want to interact with more than just a voice. And so in some cases, like NK Western has done this, when there are remote students and some in a classroom, they actually create um, anthropomorphic um, avatars and put them in the space so that you have a sense of where other people are around you or what perspective they have that they're viewing so that it doesn't feel so outer space, next world kind of thing. It kind of grounds you back to what we're, comfortable with as humans, but provides perspective that, you know, for 45 other students that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So the faculty member can, in essence, see the classroom. Yep. And all the students are spread out around the world, and they're all looking at what the professor's looking at. Exactly. And from their own perspective, it's not like a flat screen. Oh, go ahead, John, please. No, please finish. Oh, I'm saying it's it's not a flat screen, right? Like you can, if the professor has, um, you know, something, if they have a beaker that they're, you know, putting chemicals in and it appears that it's floating, the students can sort of from with their HoloLens, they can look under it to see what the reaction underneath is looking like. They can look from the top. And so you're sitting in your house, but you can get a 360 degree perspective on that without asking without having to ask someone to please move it or can you show me? So you really do get an individualized learning experience without having to leave your house. Wow. Yeah, and what I was going to say is this idea of remote collaboration, a lot of the design teams at Microsoft and certainly our teams uh, have been going deep on trying to understand what counts, to Shauna's point, as presence, how much presence, how much feel of the other people being in the scene with you is important. How much of that do you need in order to feel like you're truly interacting with each other? Sometimes voice is enough, but it's 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 frequently lacking. And so the question is, do you have to? Because it's really difficult to do full representation of other people just yet. We're not all the way to that yet. Um, what needs to be there so that I feel like I'm actually interacting with you in the room and that we're looking at something together? And it turns out just a simple representation of even like the upper body. And if I can see where you're looking and maybe even see your head kind of, or even if it's totally stylized, see your head move and see where you're looking while you're talking to me and see where you're standing relative to this hologram I'm looking at, then I do feel like I'm in the room with you, even though it doesn't look anything like you. I hopefully that made sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Makes perfect sense. One of the things that customers of ours tend to be surprised about is the makeup of our team when we first start talking to them about applications. Like fundamentally changing things and and developing, you know, 
holographic things with volume is very different than 2D, you know, .NET programming. And so our team, as well as our engineers, we've got 2D artists, 3D artists, UX and UI designers, as well as creative directors. And so there is as much art that goes into creating these new type of applications as there is, you know, the science behind how we do it. And all of that art helps really bring it to life and make it feel like, you know, it's a real object in front of you or there's another person or we're having a shared experience or I'm really getting the full, you know, detail on this object, like for somebody who's designing something. So that art is really important and, and typically unexpected, um, you know, when we first start talking to folks. What, we've, what we have talked about so far is that the learning outcomes can be higher, as you described at the... Case Western example in their medical school, the outcomes can actually be higher, better recall. Also talked about the fact that um, you can do things with the HoloLens that cannot be done in real life, that uh, some things are too dangerous or too challenging or too expensive, but you can do them in this um, modality. And um, just these various kinds of practical things that seem to be really positive. One of the takeaways from the year 2020 is that we all need to be a little bit more focused on equity, fairness, equal opportunities for people, um, that as we move forward as societies, we don't leave people behind. It seems to me that this is one of those tools that can give a much, much broader um, group of people an opportunity for a high-quality education because they don't have to move somewhere. Well, and, and I think the other thing that I would, would add with that is there is a big focus within Microsoft, not just, you know, within our team. We had some some devs who were particularly passionate about this, but the idea of accessibility is, you know, a fundamental principle of Microsoft. And so it is one of the things that we also consider. So not just, you know, gender or race or socioeconomic background, you're considering people who have different styles and abilities of learning. And those are all um, considerations that we make as we're developing these apps so that we're not limited to a certain set of the population. Um, and like I said, it, it was, we had a couple of, of developers on our team who took it very seriously. They participated in a number of hackathons. Um, you know, there's been some considerations about how do you use, what is a HoloLens experience like for someone who's blind, right? Do they leverage the sound? Do they get volume out of it? And so it is definitely a topic that we um, spend a lot of time and consideration on. This ought to be one of the outcomes for every advance in technology is um, social equity opportunities. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really proud to work for a company that prioritizes that. Um, you know, uh, I was really impressed with the, the response both publicly and internally to, you know, everything that was going on last year. And certainly as Shauna said, it's, it's great being part of a team. You know, Microsoft does a, uh, an internal hackathon once a year that's totally cross-functional. Someone can put an idea out there. Um, and anyone from anywhere in the company can sign on to participate in that. And so you'll get these kind of, Teams, these really diverse teams coming together with uh, the only thing they have in common, and you know they probably haven't even met each other beforehand. The only thing they have in common is passion about a particular topic, and so that's how uh, that idea Shauna was talking about came about. And so I think the particular idea, one thing that I've seen repeatedly, is 
you know, HoloLens has a really impressive sensor package built into it. I was telling you about those cameras. I was telling you about building up the, the kind of 3D maps of a room. Well, what if I can use those 3D maps to help a blind person navigate in an environment that they're in because the HoloLens can tell where uh, obstacles are and then we can use sound maybe to trigger the person to understand uh, just like in, you know some cars have things like that now if there's something in the lane you're about to change lanes we can maybe use sound to trigger you to help a blind person navigate a space they haven't seen before amazing we, we're just sitting here staring at each <laughs> other across the room we just sit, it's such uh, you know there's a there's kind of a joke especially especially for people um, of the age that Scott and I are, uh, there's a recurring meme on the internet of, uh, we're not the same age, Steve. Yeah, that's right. I'm a year older and he never lets you're me a couple it. months older. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, it, the, the meme is something to the effect of, Hey, uh, we grew up watching the Jetsons and we were promised electric flying cars by now. And where is all this stuff? And, um, and while I appreciate the joke, um, this the Hololens seems to me to be, you know, the start of that. This is all around the edges of that uh, that Jetsons way of going to school, right? I mean, it's um, it really is, as John has suggested, going to transform everything we do. It seems like it definitely is. You know, the biggest step change in education I think we have seen in you know in. 50, 60, 80, you know, maybe 100 years. I mean, it really does change everything about how we can learn, where we can learn, who can learn. Um, yeah, it's a, it is a major shift in, in, in education, for, for sure. So put on your um, HoloLens, and uh, I should say HoloLens slash um, crystal ball. Um, what do you see 15 years from now or so? Where do you think we'll be in education? I'll go first, I guess. Um, yeah, I think the trends are already underway, but they're going to we're going to perfect it, right? So I think remote learning, this notion of that I have to be in a specific place to access content relative to that institution, that's going to be possibly gone, right? Um, and I think the access to information is going to be much more widely distributed, right? Like right now, like you were saying, from an equity standpoint, right now, you know, I have to live in certain areas and have a certain background maybe to get the best possible education. And I hope we're going to solve that problem. I think technology is how we're going to solve that problem. And on the technology front, in order for that to happen, though, the prerequisites to me are we have these building blocks. We have this V1 technology, but like the HoloLens 1 and 2 are the equivalent of, unfortunately, I'm old enough as well to remember the first cell phones. And those things were, you know, bricks with a large antenna attached to them. <laughs> I remember seeing one, you know, yep. I remember seeing one going, man, who the heck would want to carry that around with them? Um, but there's clearly something powerful there. There's something to it. That's what, to me, the Holland's V1 especially is in Holland's V2. I don't know exactly what this technology will look like 10, 15 years from now, but it's going to be ubiquitous. You're not going to be aware of it. It's going to be commoditized to where just about anyone can have it. And once we have that, then that opens up all of these possibilities educationally. And I think 
as the displays get more and more immersive. And then if we do get things like haptics, you know, where you can get physical feedback, just, you know, I don't want to say we're going to be all the way to something like Ready Player One, right? But like, you know, we are definitely heading that way. There's, there's very little in that movie that is completely outside the bounds of what we can do now, right? We're just, it's now, it's, it's execution and refinement and miniaturization and, and improving the price points of things. And I talked for too long, so go ahead, Shauna. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I actually think um, COVID, as as horrendous and as detrimental as, as this year has been, I think it is another pivot point in how we're learning and how kids are going to kids or young adults, you know, experience their education. I think I've watched my daughter now. I mean, she's she's only in third grade, but I've watched her now since last March, try to navigate what, you know, remote learning on a screen looks like. And I think schools are getting smarter. And I think I've even talked to some other, um, you know, high schools and universities and, and even some, um, you know, enterprises about how do they, um, how do they keep kids interested? How do we look at, you know, the potential for gamifying um, education and it, you know, as much as we're saying, keep your kids off of a screen, uh, fundamentally, I mean, I think realistically, screens are going to be what's ubiquitous, you know, whether it's a screen, like some sort of tablet, or whether it's your phone in some version, or whether it's, you know, some version of a HoloLens, I think the screen and how that child learns and where they learn, you know, gets opened up to a whole new world and learning how to keep them interested Again, not unlike some of the advances in education that, that you're considering at the university will have a lot to do with how you recruit and retain students and their interest. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking through all of the ramifications of this, and it's really um, amazing to think about it. What you've just described, both of you, John and Shauna, is that is the lingo we would use is access and affordability. Um, that access is going to go way up through the injection of technology, and the cost for the same quality of education is going to go down. And um, and that the outcomes, the additional recall or learning outcomes, are going to go way up. This is what technology is supposed to do. <laughs> it's supposed to increase outcomes, increase access, and decrease cost. I'm excited about the future. Me too. Yeah, we are too. And How long do you think it'll be before we see this kind of technology on all of the campuses around the country? How fast do you think this kind of technology is going to become ubiquitous? Well, so, I mean, there are a number of elements to that, right? Um, if you're talking HoloLens and, and even, you know, and, and this style of education, it's not just about the technology that's available to a student to consume content. It's about the creation of that content and about the, the, the back-end systems to, to support such content, right? So it's a, it's, there are a lot of moving parts to it. Yep, you're right. Part of it you have to do. I agree part with you, John. of it we have to do. Go ahead. Yeah, Sean. I think the content is a no. Thank you. I, I think the content is a real driver. I think that's a that's a really valid point. Is that 
um, you know, the device without something that really lights it up will, will certainly not expedite the use of it. But I also think, um, you know, experiences like COVID have, um, you know, have the opportunity to accelerate. I think about it like with electric cars. I mean, electric cars have been sort of this idea, um, you know, that a few people, certainly more in Seattle, but it's still a novelty, you know, for a lot of uh, the country to think about driving an electric car. And um, I actually, uh, my other half yesterday told me that apparently I was, uh, you know, ahead of the curve because I six months ago bought an electric car and Jaguar just announced that by 2025, their entire fleet is going to be electric. And I think there was another company that by a few years later, maybe Ford or something. And so there, it's almost like it's slow, it's slow, it's slow. And then there's this hockey stick uptick that everybody just sort of gets on the bandwagon at the same time. And so I think we're sort of in that, we're getting to that acceleration point. And I think there's a number of factors that are causing that, but I, I do think it's like the technology or the change in education is going to really start to accelerate from here on out. So Shauna, can I, can I ask a question? We had talked uh, earlier in the podcast about Case Western Reserve, and you had said they jumped in with both feet. My question about that is, did uh, obviously they they jumped in with both feet regarding the probably the purchase of Hololens and all the other uh, materials that they would need for that. But, but did the university itself jump in with both feet in terms of developing the curriculum to be used on HoloLens? Because as John's pointed out, it's the creation, uh, in some cases, that the, the creative side, the materials to be, to, to be implemented on the technology that sometimes hold back the progress. Uh, what, what was your experience with Case Western in that regard? They did. They were... I think, and not to overuse the word, but I think they were quite visionary in really looking far out into the future. They were building a new medical school at the time. So they were kind of faced with a, a different set of choices, you know, than a, than, you know, a, a university who, you know, it's business as usual next year type thing. But they really, in building the new medical school, looked out ahead to think, what is this going to look like? What is the education going to look like? And so, they did. Microsoft was building um, some of the first applications. They actually started working with us even before um, the product was generally available to the public. And so our product group started working with them, but they've expanded. And so they really have, um, they now license, I think, at least one of the, the courses for students. And so they've They've sort of turned it not just into, you know, curriculum for them, but now potentially curriculum for all. So, yeah, they've onboarded um, their own little enterprise as it relates to, you know, holographic development and and curriculum um, updates and management and that kind of thing. So um, there's definitely I don't think every school has to go that way. I mean, I've got a number of customers who um we've talked to and they were like, one of my customers was like, I have enough to manage. I don't need to manage software devs too. And so he was like, we always want to outsource where we've got other customers who are like, no, we think that the ROI and having the control and not having to license software, um, you know, we want to bring this in house and we want to have this skill set so that we have more freedom to develop. And so I think there's a, a wide range, but the case Western um, definitely went to the, like, like you said, 
all in, we're going to be able to develop um, our own curriculum. And and as John pointed out, there's also all the back end stuff to consider. So it, there are many moving parts, and and getting them all uh, coordinated uh, so that there's front end software for curriculum and and then the implementation of the actual uh, Hololens device, and then and then the data that you're collecting on the backside or the integration with um, with whatever uh, system that it needs to integrate with that. That it, it, that I can see why I, I I I love your analogy of the hockey stick because I can see why this the this end of the hockey stick is uh, is kind of flat and lengthy, um, but I agree that once there are all of those parts in place, there is going to be a great big shoot up, and uh, and it's going to be hugely impactful to higher education education generally certainly higher education. Um, Steve, it's time to stop looking at YouTube videos of the Hololens. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta go find one. Uh, maybe, maybe our guests know where we could get one on loan. <laughs> no, I'll bet you they. I'll bet you they could. I'll bet you they could tell us where we could buy one. Yeah, no, we'll buy one. <laughs> I was mostly making a joke, uh, but yeah, no, we we gotta we gotta go check one of these out. Anyway, um, well, this is this is interesting and uh, really fun for us, and we're super honored, Shauna and John, that the the two of you, with your incredibly busy schedules and lives, um, would pause for a minute to talk to us on this podcast and help inspire us with the the future lies um, for education, and. Um, it's a reminder to us that we need to make sure that as we think about our future, that we, um, for us and for all colleges and universities um, around the world, that um, we start thinking about how we can leverage technology to, to increase uh, access, increase affordability, increase outcomes, and, uh, and increase... Uh, all the equity issues that um, have plagued us for centuries. Well, thank you very much for having us. I mean, I think you can probably hear John and I have both been at this, you know, for five or six years and we're still really passionate about it. And so getting the opportunity to, to talk about the technology, you know, even if it's just creating awareness or conversation, we we're happy to do it and happy to build out the ecosystem so that more people can experience like, this technology as we move forward. Steve, more than just getting a yeah. hollow lens, we need to um, we need to engage in some kind of a project with we do Sean and John. I agree. I cut you off, John. I didn't mean to do that. Oh no, that's fine. I was just going to say, yeah, it's been my pleasure to be here, and I love talking about this uh, this stuff, and I'm really passionate about what we can do and and about how to apply this, you know, to make the world better. You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. We've had as our guests today uh, via phone from their home offices in the Seattle area, Shauna Murray and John O'Brien. They are members of Microsoft's Mixed Reality Services team and um, just 
a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for helping us catch a glimpse of what our very near future uh, will be, John and Shauna. We much appreciate it. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. We'll be back with another podcast very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.